Welcome to the Solid Verbal. The Solid Verbal. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! I've heard so many players say, well, I want to be happy. You want to be happy for a day? Eat a steak. It's that woo-woo! And now, Dan and Ty. Welcome back to the Solid Verbal, boys and girls. Ty Hildenbrandt here. Dan Rubenstein right on over there. SolidVerbal at gmail.com. Still the email. Feel free to find us on Facebook on FanCred. And, of course, on the Twitter. Dan, we've got one more conference. Can you believe it? One more conference until we've covered... Save the best for last. All of the Power Five. Pac-12 this evening with the esteemed Ted Miller from ESPN.com. Daniel? I'm very excited. I've been waiting for this episode for quite some time. I miss Ted. I miss talking about conferences. It's been a little while since, I mean, like two days since talking about the Big 12. Uh, Very excited for this year's Pac-12 season. I think they're clearly the second best conference in America at this point. I would agree with that. They're very deep this year. Very deep. They're very deep. I like the fact that we'll get nine conference games, one of only two of the Power Five conferences that does so. Uh, Every season we get nine games. So excited for any number of matchups, any number of storylines actually a lot of storylines yep. all across the conference a lot of offense a lot of defense a lot of star power uh quite excited you know my oregon ducks your oregon well let me ask you this all right you are the pack 12 expert between the two of us no doubt about it i think that's fair what what are the storylines that stand out most to you if i'm putting a gun to your head and i'm saying give me three storylines mm-hmm. that are the most worth following for people out there who may not be pack 12 fans which three are you going to select? I am going to say how USC is able to navigate limited depth and a new coaching staff, yep. but that limited depth is incredibly talented almost everywhere. Still not crazy about that offensive line. I am curious about Oregon's coaching in general with a very talented team the offensive coaching staff or the the offensive coordinator and Scott Frost wasn't a huge fan of how he finished out the season. A lot of people point to Marcus Mariota's knee, but even with a healthy knee, they scored precisely one offensive touchdown against Texas in the Alamo Bowl. And Don Pelham stepping in for Nick Aliotti as defensive coordinator, longtime linebackers coach Don Pelham. So curious to see how that coaching staff with a couple of new members and roles comes together as a a supposed top five, top three playoff threat. Um, curious about that. And then the third one is it's some sort of tie between Washington and UCLA. Mm. Um, yep. Just to see what kind of step forward, not only UCLA as a team takes, they, they lose some key guys in their front seven and their offensive line should get better. What kind of step forward Brett Hundley takes? He wisely came back for his red shirt, I believe junior year. Um, I thought he was good last year. The fact that he didn't play all that well against Stanford and Oregon was a little bit troubling. Uh, this their their supposed best player. Um, so that's the intrigue, just to see how well the recruits that have come in, the touted recruits, do in that system. And then with Washington, it's sort of a combination of the two of those things. It's quarterback play and new coaching staff, and what Siler Miles and Chris Peterson and a very experienced front are able to do defensive front are able to do under the umbrella of everything is new for me it is very much how does ucla handle the hype because we saw that ucla is the preseason at least according to the ap and look we don't read too deeply into preseason polls but nonetheless seventh in a preseason poll comes with a fair amount of hype yes How will UCLA handle that? I don't know if that's a spot they're accustomed to being in, at least at this point in mid to late August. That's a big one for me. I am fascinated by Washington. Chris Peterson comes in and we're going to, I'm sure, ask Ted Miller about the impact he's going to have. What Mm -hmm. happens if he's able to come in there and rebuild things, take Washington to a Pac-12 title? I am real curious to see how his style of play translates to a Power 5 conference. And then I'm always intrigued with Arizona. Always intrigued with Arizona because if we know anything about the 2014 Wildcats, it's that they're really built for speed. Yeah. Really. So many good receivers. Really built for speed. 
and Jesse Scroggins, a name that we knew very well when he first was recruited and signed with USC, has since transferred mm-hmm. to Arizona. He would appear to be your starting quarterback this season. How does he translate to that Rich Rod system? I I'm just still w- curious about who starts there. I mean, I know a lot of people have pointed to Scroggins because of his experience and sure. age, but they've got like five people that could start for a number of teams at quarterback. Absolutely. And is Scroggins even the best fit right. for Arizona? Um, I'm just intrigued there. That That's a storyline for me because Arizona, I know, is going to be dangerous in November. That's just the team that they are. That's the identity they seem to have forged. They're going to be dangerous in November. And I think it's going to be fun watching them improve throughout the course of the season. But those would probably be the three for me. Um, Oregon, I think, is probably the trendy storyline just because they're Oregon, because they're fun to watch. And they're going to have a solid team. Mm -hmm. But the other things, I think, to me, are a bit more of an unknown at this point. Yeah, I'm I'm going to be very excited for that Territorial Cup game. That Arizona-Arizona State game is going to be 55-53. I don't know who will have 55 and who will have 53. Just play the shootout music now. Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, just play it. That's It's going it. to be a shootout, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I don't, you know, the, those two defenses are essentially completely overhauled. Arizona State loses a number of really good guys. Arizona loses a number of contributors. They just lost what looked to be an all-conference safety. I His name is something Bondurant, something crazy like that. Um, I am I'm excited to see how unknown units develop and now that i say that out loud it (laughs) sounds dirty unknown units i gotcha the development of unknown units um and there are a number of them across the conference but yes i i'm always excited around this time not even just limited to the pac-12 who makes that leap we saw the the leap of all leaps last year with auburn and the sec but who makes that dramatic? Who figures everything out? Who installs a system that confounds and confuses? I'm excited to see that storyline play out. Well, let's take a quick break and let's get right into it. Let's talk some Pac-12 with Ted Miller, our good friend from ESPN.com. We'll do that uh, in just a few seconds. Because sometimes you need a little fun with your sports. It's not a sports show. This is a me show. The Steve Zavid Show from Yahoo Sports Radio. Sally, how soon before Scott's daughter Instagrams her Sports talk with fun and frivolity. Are you out of your mind? I'm talking about a sports show. God, I sound terrible, don't I? Oh, excuse me. Hello and welcome. <clears throat> Take three. Listen to the Steve Zabin Podcast on Podcast One. Just search Zabin. C-Z-A-B-A-N. I got carried away. I'm very sorry. All right, Dan, joining us now, we've got one conference left to preview. He's Ted Miller. He's from ESPN.com. Sir, how are you? Welcome back. Outstanding. I hope you guys are doing well. Last but not least, right? How are you? How has your summer been? It's been good. You know, we've had kind of a mild deal here in Arizona. You know, not a lot of the 120s, more of the 100s, which is uh, is pretty nice here. A lot of rain and moisture, and uh, it's uh, it's been pretty mellow. A mellow summer uh, by any standards as we get ready for this exciting season with this college football playoff and all sorts of controversies sure to be ahead. What's the best thing you've eaten this summer? <laughs> Man, I've been doing a lot of different cooking. I, you know, I, when you get the time off, you always do it. So I've, I've, I like I've, that. I've made, a, made a variety of different dishes at home, you know, experimenting with different flavors. But, you know, uh, golly. The best thing I've eaten this summer, well, you know, last time I was in the Bay Area, I went to Mission Chinese. Ooh, I went there, the New York version, this, uh, I this summer myself. I waited on a Wednesday night for an hour and a half. Wow, I did not wait that long. Solo, and then I sat at a table of like a table of four that had to deal with me just kind of sitting there. <laughs> I'm Ted, everybody. <laughs> hey, y'all. And they, they, were completely, uh, they were completely not happy to have me at their table, but it, right. I, I got them seated faster. So anyway... It's, just, it's unbelievable. It's, it's some of the best Chinese food in the country. It's really affordable. And what kills me is folks in the Bay Area can order and they deliver. It just, oh. just, uh, just pains me. But, of course, I'd, I'd be 250 pounds if that, that place delivered to, to my house. So it's they, were, they, they did a pop-up about 10 minutes from my apartment where it was just like, here, pay $35, and we're just going to keep bringing you out dishes until you can't like move. And the Kung Pao pastrami, the rice cakes, everything was just ridiculous. It is interesting like that with food, is it how good sometimes inexpensive food is. And I was, you know, we were, I was preparing for this, uh, talking to you guys about the best meal I'd had in, 
in, in, in on the road this in the past couple of years, and I went to Manresa in the Bay Area, and it it just it just caught on fire like in July and had a big oh. deal and burned to the ground. But I, I when I went there, I was prepared for you know the soul crushingly expensive meal right. that's you know worth it, and it was worth it. But I, I think about like you compare a meal where you get you know more food than you can possibly eat at a really high quality for for less than fifty bucks a person, and then you go and have a tab of one hundred and seventy five two hundred dollars a person, and you just think. This love of food we have is a complex, multifaceted thing. <laughs> I like the phrase uh, soul-crushingly expensive and then burned to the ground because it's a natural transition for Ty to ask about Lane Kiffin leaving USC. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you guys are good. <laughs> See what we did there? I, li- I feel yeah. like that was a pro move. <laughs> Should I just dovetail right into USC? Do it, Ty. Uh, what kind of immediate impact does Steve Sarkeesian have on USC, Ted? Well, the good news is if they can stop getting guys hurt, is that uh, Steve Sarkeesian has inherited a roster that's good enough to win the South Division. I mean, I know everybody's talking about UCLA, and with good reason. I mean, UCLA has the best team on paper going into the season. But USC, if they stay healthy, they're starting 22, can play with anybody. He's got a, a quarterback in Cody Kessler who asserted himself last year. I think his hurry-up, up-tempo, yet pro-style offense is going to work well with Kessler. Uh, Kessler's a good athlete, and, and he really kind of showed some things at the end of last season, showed some mental toughness and some ability. And, and obviously he's got some weapons at his disposal, and I think that, that hurry-up offense is going to work pretty well for them. The question is, are they going to be healthy enough, especially on defense, that, that this won't be an issue uh, where they wear down during the season and stuff. But I, I just think if USC is healthy, they're going to win 10 games or more. And if they start to fall off some injuries, then it, it won't be very easy. But uh, the bottom line with them is that the NCAA sanctions are over. They're going to sign a full class this year, and folks got to be ready. I mean, USC is going to be back. I know there's a lot of naysayers with old so-called seven-win Steve, but I, I think USC is, is going forward, starting even this year perhaps, is going to be a major factor in, in both the Pac-12 and national picture. Steve Sarkeesian, he was on the same staff as Lane Kiffin, and I know we've had some questions come in, folks saying, well, what's the difference between Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian? Ringo and George, Ty. <laughs> right. I mean, Sarkeesian's won a little bit more, but uh, from your perspective, I'm just curious, Sarkeesian versus Kiffin, what is the main difference? Well, I, I think you could actually go back to Pete Carroll and, and the distinction he made, which was, I haven't completely understood why for example, Lane Kiffin was hired at Alabama as the offensive coordinator because it was Sarkeesian who was calling the plays at USC when they were together. Kiffin was called the offensive coordinator. Sarkeesian was the assistant head coach, and, and, and Pete went out of his way to say, hey, Sark calls the plays. He's the guy running the offense. He was the one that had Carroll pushing Norm Chow aside because he believed in Sarkeesian. It wasn't Kiffin. Uh, Kiffin obviously participated a whole lot. They've always been good friends and got along well, and I'm sure it was a collaboration, but final call belonged to Sark. And also, you know, this job Sark did at, at Washington. I mean, I know a lot of folks are, are take shots at him for that, but I mean, he inherited, bottom line, inherited an 0-12 team and built it into a nationally ranked team and, and built it into a regular bowl performer and recruited a lot of good players. And, you know, you bring that recruiting acumen into L.A., uh, I think you get more with Sark than you get with Kiffin. I, I, I'm not exactly Kiffin's biggest critic. I tried to criticize what I actually saw and interacted with as opposed to just speculating on what folks at Tennessee said. But I, I do think that you've got a more mature coach, a more proven coach, and, and probably a guy who's you know, more, more schematically advanced. And, and by the way, he's also got a heck of a staff there with Justin Wilcox on defense. They retained T. Martin. He did a lot of smart things with his staff that uh, I think is going to help him out down there. You mentioned UCLA. They're the preseason number seven team, which I think speaks to how far the program has come, if only in terms of perception. A ton of starters, including Brett Hundley, return this season, do you buy, do you sell UCLA as the front runner in the South, as a top 10 team in the country, uh, as a national championship contender? How, how in are you on UCLA? Oh, I'm in. I'm in. I mean, I, I, I love the coaching staff. I love what Jim Moore has done. I love how he brought toughness to Westwood, something that was kind of lacking. Even in the days when USC was good, it was a flashy school. It never saw it seemed like a really tough program. They've got that now. You know, folks are talking about Brett Hundling, Miles Jack, those guys who were kind of spectacular, fancy athletes, and, and with good reason. 
but you've got guys that, that people don't talk about that are very good there. Their nose tackle, Kenny Clark. Uh, uh, they're a very, very good, experienced defensive backfield. I think a lot of people are going to hear about Fabian Moreau this year. They've got a lot of players all over the field. They don't have a place where they have an, a lot of obvious weaknesses. I think most of us are counting on that offensive line, which was very long, young last year and sometimes got overmatched, of having matured in the offseason. Uh, and if they can stay healthy, that that, that, that will be the, the piece that really moves them forward into the top ten, makes them a national title contender, is, is a maturing uh, offensive line. Last year there were three freshmen playing, and they still won the South. Uh, and that was three true freshmen. So that's very rare at any level, especially at an elite level. So I, I'm, I'm in with UCLA. And what I love about that is if you have UCLA as a top ten team and USC as a top ten team, man, the battle of Los Angeles is something fun to watch. What is the weak link? that you're concerned about, if any, for UCLA? Well, you know, you kind of wonder, are they going to be able to replace Anthony Barr's production on the outside there? Are they going to be able to get to the quarterback? Uh, I think a lot of folks think they will, but Anthony Barr is a heck of a player to have to to replace. That's a lot of production. I'm interested in seeing how Miles Jack kind of transitions from uh, a player that was interesting last year in playing both ways to being a star. Is he going to step up at linebacker and become a playmaker, a guy who gets sacks, tackles for loss, interceptions, etc., etc.? And also that, that offensive line. I think that most of us have imagined it just taking a step forward automatically because it got older. That's got to happen on the field first. We're, we're projecting with that offensive line. It hasn't done it yet. Some offensive lines have. You know, like an Oregon offensive line has done it, except against Stanford. But UCLA has not done it on the O-line yet. So I think those are two things. The O-line and how are they going to get to the quarterback replacing Anthony Barr on defense. Let's go to the uh, the presumptive favorites, even though they did not win the conference last year. Up north, the Oregon Ducks return a lot. It appears that the story is just how much very high-level experience is back in Eugene. So my question to you is, what is new about this Oregon Ducks team that intrigues you that perhaps you didn't see last year, whether it's scheme, coaches, players, or what have you? Well, I think you're going to have a little bit, you know, uh, Mark Elfridge is a head coach, will have a better feel for what he's doing, maybe a little bit more confidence in himself, even though there's some criticism. My God, they went to 11-2 and two last year. What a, what a complete disaster. And you mm-hmm. see, but I mean... I think that he'll have just kind of a, a rhythm, a better rhythm about himself, and I think that matters. I think folks extrapolate on Oregon, hey, what happens if Marcus Mariota stays healthy all season? Uh, right. I feel like, personally, if that knee was never an issue, and I know folks try to debunk this, but if that knee wasn't an issue, I think Oregon goes undefeated and probably loses to Florida State in the national title game. Uh, I don't think they were going to beat the Seminoles. I think the Seminoles were the best team in the country, but I think Oregon probably was the second-best team when, when Mariota was doing his thing. We'll see this year. I mean, if they keep him healthy, if he matures and advances as a quarterback, and I don't know how much better he could get compared to some of the stuff he did last year. Mm -hmm. If he is better, he's going to be hard to stop. Now, he's not as good at receiver. He's not going to be – we don't know what they're going to do there. But he's got some nice running backs, and even with the loss on the offensive line of Tyler Johnstone, they're pretty strong up front. So, I mean, they're going to be able to run the ball, and if they run the ball, that should make everything easier in the passing game. And if he's improved as a passer, which means a little bit more accurate – maybe a little bit more poise in the pocket. Uh, you know, who, how do you stop this offense? And you know, on defense, they've got a lot of pieces coming back in the front seven, some nice pieces that, that, that you know, have NFL-level talent. The linebackers were a problem last year. They mm-hmm. should be more mature. And now you've got questions in the secondary. But, you know, you start off with Ufo back there, and, and he's a pretty pretty good cornerback to start with. So, uh, you know, they've got some questions. But, I mean, the answers seem to start and end with, you know, if Mariota's better this year, they're going to be hard to stop. Of the three teams that appear to be best built and in best position to beat Oregon, Michigan State and Stanford both go to Eugene and the Ducks travel to UCLA. Who is the team that uh, that Oregon should be most worried about, I guess, about a week and a half before the season? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I'm really curious after watching how Michigan State played against Stanford in that Rose Bowl about the physical line of scrimmage matchup in right. Eugene against Michigan State. I think that game, if Oregon wins it, and, you know, Vegas is favoring them by, what, 17 points? <laughs> Some people, smart people, believe the Ducks are going to roll. I'm not so sure it's going to be that easy. But if they do win and win impressively against Michigan State, I just see this team getting a lot of confidence in itself. Mm-hmm. Again, if Florida State's healthy. I always think it's tougher on the road. 
Uh, you know, I bet against Stanford in this game, even though I picked Stanford uh, uh, to win the Pac-12 last year. You, know, you bet against Stanford against Oregon two years in a row, and both times they come in and do things against the Ducks that no one else seems to be able to do. So I'm reluctant to think that just because Stanford is back in Austin Stadium, a third-year starter quarterback with Kevin Hogan, that they're not the most dangerous team. But you know, you got to go on the road, and winning on the road is not easy. Not in this conference. That place, the Rose Bowl, could be packed. Brett Hundley showcase game, a lot of good players at UCLA, the hot new thing. I mean, it, that winning on the road is the hard thing. Now, they were great on the road under Chip Kelly. They've got to prove that they're going to be that same mentally tough uh, unit under, uh, under Mark Elfritz. So I, I think that UCLA game is, is going to be monstrous. But, of course, you know, all three of those games are, are huge national games that everybody will be watching. All right, let's talk about that team that's beaten them the past two years, the Stanford Cardinal, uh, both times in impressive, albeit ultimately close fashion. Uh, the concern appears to be clear with Stanford. They lose a ton of talent in their defensive front, also losing Derek Mason, never a good thing as defensive coordinator. Um, where is the confidence this year, other than the fact that David Shaw has been quite successful? Where do you look at the Stanford team and you think, yes, they're going to be in great shape there to win double-digit games again? Yeah, people say, why, why is everybody disrespecting Stanford? And I don't think anybody is. I mean, I, I, it would not surprise me in the least if Stanford doesn't represent the Pac-12 in the uh, college football playoff. Wow. They just have certain questions that we want to see answered. I mean, they've got four starters, four, uh, replacing four starters in the offensive line. Now, these are high-quality guys coming in that we've already seen a little bit of uh-huh. uh, the, the, from those vaunted uh, uh, recruiting classes on the offensive line Stanford has had for the past several years. We want to see them in again. You want to see how they react. We want to see what's going to happen at runner running back. You know, getting Tyler Gaffney back last year was a game changer for them. We, you know, it looks sounds like in the preseason it's going to be backfield by committee. We want to know if Kevin Hogan is going to have an inter- intermediate passing game. He was either all or nothing last year. It seemed like he either threw deep successfully or or that was it. Are they going to have the tight ends back in the game? And how do they replace the emotions of a guy like Shane Scove? at inside linebacker in the production of, of a guy like Trent Murphy. So these are legitimate questions. Now, when I look at their depth chart, when I read their practice reports, I think that they've got a very nice chance of answering those questions, but they're still out there. And you've got to make distinctions in the preseason. This is all just you know hot air when you get down to it. But right now, I, I just feel like that Oregon combination of schedule uh, and fewer questions is, is the front runner, and Stanford would be that alternative. But, I mean, bottom line, is, is that they have done things against that, that, that Oregon offense the past two seasons that no one else has been able to do. But the guy who put that together, put that game plan together, is at Vanderbilt right now. So let's see what happens uh, with Derek Mason out of the picture. If they are able to do their old thing with dragging the ducks in the deep water, as Mason told me on the sidelines one time when I had no <laughs> idea what he was talking about. <laughs> Uh, let's go to Arizona, a team that has some turnover and some losses, namely its quarterback, top running back, few key pieces in its front seven. You, you'd have to assume that Rich Rod's still going to find ways to score points, Ted, but the defense, again, feels like it's a bit of a liability. How close are we to Arizona being more of a contender than you know, just a dangerous team you don't want to play late in the season? Well, you know, they're still going to have to improve the personnel on defense. They, they mm-hmm. don't have those elite defensive linemen that you really need to, 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 to move up in the top 25. Uh, you know, Stanford got those. Oregon, you know, everybody talks about the Oregon offense, but the, 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 those type of defensive linemen are what made Oregon different. Uh, USC gets those. UCLA has them now, even though they're young. Uh, you look at, at Arizona on the practice field, they, they just don't have that right now. Uh, Jeff Castile is an outstanding defensive coordinator. The job he did last year with the talent he had in putting the, together what was the most improved defense in the conference from 2012 to 2013 was miraculous. I don't know if that defense is going to be able to match what it did last year. The question obviously comes down, can they outscore people? I mean, how, Can they make turnovers? Can they bend and not break on defense? And then can they outscore people? And we don't know who their quarterback is going to be. I do know this. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the conference. They're very deep at receiver. I just don't think running back is going to be that big of a deal with this crew of receivers. Uh, I think they're. I think Rich Rod's teams always run well. Uh, they're not going to be great at running back. We we already know that. I mean, they're not going to be Kadeem Carey good. But I, I think if they have a quarterback that can manage a game and not make mistakes and distribute the ball to a really deep crew of receivers, they're going to score a lot of points. What separates them really is defense. I mean, the, the teams ahead of them in the conference: UCLA, USC. 
they have better defense. And, you know, that's the reason why it's going to be a toss-up between the Wildcats and Sun Devils this year, just because neither one seems to have a lot of answers on defense. One of the better stories in the Pac-12 has been the job that Todd Graham has done at Arizona State. This year, uh, you know, feels like a little bit of a reboot on defense. How, how much of a liability is ASU on the defensive side? Well, I, I think it's a huge deal. What I love is, is fans and even coaches who tell you about how they're going to be fine because of player X, player Y, or player Z, who's never played a snap of football. Well, there you go. You got this JC defensive tackle coming in. He's all American. <laughs> I'm like, what? Now, what did he do last year in Pac-12 play? Nothing. We don't know. And that's the thing with Arizona State's defense. They are relying not just on guys who saw spot action or were part-time players or, or whatever. They're relying, relying on a lot of guys that were not with the program last year. And that's what I have a question about. I mean, they're going to have to really take some chances, be aggressive. You know, I mean, they are an aggressive, blitz-happy team anyway that's, that would rather get a sack and risk the big play than, than sit back and bend it, not break. We're going to see some interesting things, I think, out of that defense this year. You may, they may make some big plays, and they may give up a ton of them. Now, that offense, it's pretty salty. I mean, they, they don't have a weakness on that offense. Maybe receiver depth is a little question, but, you know, when you have a guy like Jalen Strong who can catch those fade routes, those back shoulder passes like he does, when you've got a quarterback with as much moxie and experience as Taylor Kelly, a, a running back like D.J. Foster, who's dangerous as a receiver and a runner, and a very physical, experienced offensive line, I, you know, I like what they have on offense. I mean, they're going to win games this year 40-35 to 35, or even 50-45. to 45. But, you know, Graham has got his guy, Keith Patterson, back, coordinate the defense. Graham's bread and butter is defense himself. He keeps telling us the defense is going to be fine. It's going to surprise people. Maybe they will. If that defense is at least mediocre, they're a threat in the South. I think a lot of folks are betting that it might not be, and that's why they're kind of downgraded, even though, by the way, they got a preseason top 25 ranking. There you go. Well, by the time ASU squares off against their in-state rival, Arizona, both defenses will have plenty of time to get ready. They play on Friday, November 28th. When Arizona State plays Arizona, Ted, who are you picking? Ooh, you guys are putting me way ahead of there. Uh, golly. You know, it's, it's in Tucson. Usually home field advantage doesn't matter that much. Uh, I'm going to go with the home team. I'm going to go with the Wildcats right now. Right. As, at least as it stands right now, I'm going, I'm going with Arizona. All right, I'm going to give you a matchup, Ted. I'm gonna, the matchup is Siler Miles presumed starting quarterback, eventual start presumed starting quarterback at Washington against the average of all of the quarterbacks on Washington's schedule who get to play against Washington's pretty inexperienced secondary. And how much does that matchup matter, I guess? How much does it matter that the inexperience of Washington's secondary? Versus the inexperience well, the of Washington at quarterback. Immediately on that would be is, is you might have the best front seven uh, in the Pac-12. I mean, maybe. I mean, there's some competitive uh, sure. uh, you know, teams up there, but that Washington's going to be pretty salty up front on defense uh, with Shelton and Kakaha and, 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 and Shaq Thompson. So I think they're going to be able to squeeze you pretty tight and not give you the four seconds you'd like to, to have to exploit that young secondary uh, that you know does have some pretty decent players, you know, starting with Marcus Peters, who's one of the best cornerbacks in the entire country. So, you know, I, I actually like the Washington defense. I think it's going to be a pretty good unit. They're going to have to. Be, they're going to be young back there, mm-hmm. and when against teams like Arizona and Washington State that, that have a lot of options in the passing game, it might get interesting. But I, I, I like Siler Miles. I mean, what I saw from him last year was that he was a, a pretty poised guy in a tough situation. Uh, I don't like what he did in the off season. You know, I think that whole incident stinks. Right. It sounded like that he and uh, uh, Stringfellow were acting like a couple of bullies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and sing the kids' praises, but I think he, you know, if he's learned his lesson and moving forward and has won back his locker room, that he has a chance to be a very good quarterback for them. So, and they've got a good, good crew coming back on the offensive line and a receiver. And he's probably going to throw a lot because, you know, the, the, uh, without Bishop Sankey back there, even though they're pretty stacked at running back. So, you know, I like the Huskies a lot this year. I mean, I think they're competitive with Oregon and Stanford. I think that, I think that they would have a much better chance of ending, entering that long, long, long losing streak to the Ducks if it were at Husky Stadium. Uh, I think right. that, uh, I think what might be interesting, I think that that losing streak, we're not looking ahead because we're just like coaches, but right. 2015 Husky Stadium, the Ducks without Mariota. If you're looking for a year of the Huskies to end that futility against the Ducks, it's next year, probably not this year. But I think, that I, I think Washington stays in the top 25 much of the year. 
the phrase that we kept hearing with the the hire of Chris Peterson in Seattle was that, wow, Washington may have upgraded at the coaching slot. What is it about not just Chris Peterson, but the staff he has in Seattle that will be the biggest upgrade to this Washington team, specifically whether it's scheme, position group, whatever? Well, I'm pretty familiar with Jonathan Smith because, uh, you know, I, I was covering the Pac-10. Uh, uh, sure. He was a quarterback at Oregon State and was a, was a scrappy young guy who was the most unlikely-looking good quarterback you'll ever see. I mean, you still, <laughs> I still to this day see him and go, no way that guy was that guy in Husky True. Stadium in 2000 to put on a show. Great, great overachieving guy. I don't know a ton about Peterson's staff. I know that he respected his staff enough to fight very hard to keep those guys together from Boise State coming in. But let's face it, this is about Chris Peterson. And the onus now has switched from can we lure Chris Peterson away from Boise State in the blue turf into the big leagues to can Chris Peterson prove himself in the big leagues? Or are we going to have a, a, a dirt cutter Dan Hawkins type situation where at the time it seems like a brilliant hire bringing a, a, a Boise State, successful Boise State coach into the Pac-10-12 and it doesn't work out. And I think Peterson's a different sort than those two. I think he is he's big game ready. He's proven he's won BCS games. But it's just a different thing, coaching in the Pac-12. I mean, we've seen that with Utah's transition from the Mountain West. We've seen it with a very good coach in Kyle Whittingham struggling a little bit to try to get your feet. So I'm, I'm very curious about how Chris Peterson delivers, especially early on when he's trying to kind of figure things out in the Pac-12. It's, it's, not, it's certainly not going to be as easy as maybe some Husky fans think. And I am not sure that it's going to be an automatic upgrade. I think Steve Sarkeesian is a good coach who was, who was learning as he went made some mistakes, and I think he's definitely a better coach than he was a couple years ago, the guy that's going to USC. So I'm not sure that's a certainty of an upgrade. But, you know, I I can't wait to see what he does with that team and that program over the next five years because this is a big measure for him, his legacy. They win a couple of Pac-12s, get in the playoff, become a national title contender again. You start to talk about Chris Peterson as one of the great coaches. All right, we'll stay in the sta- stay in the same state. Excuse me. Uh, another big name coach, of course, Mike Leach enters another season as uh, as the Cougs' head coach. How close is this defense? When he came in, this was not just a, a non an uncompetitive defense. It was a essentially like an FCS defense. How close are they now to being competitive week in and week out after showing flashes of ability last year? Well, it's been a process for them to get back. And I, I even, you know, when Paul Wolf came in, he took over one of the most uh, beleaguered-looking crew of, of you, as you said, FCS-looking players I've ever seen. And he upgraded, and that still wasn't very good. Now, and I think that they have uh, uh, made significant gains talent-wise, scheme-wise, under Mike Leach. I mean, you've got Xavier Cooper, who was a, a defensive lineman, that has been talking like he feels like he should be getting all Pac-12 recognition. I kind of like that. Uh, I like a guy like Daryl Monroe, who's a smart, good player, who's a leader, uh, and has some experience inside. And I think that their secondary, it might be a little bit better than people people expect. I, you know, you hear a lot of people saying, well, that's a real question. That's going to be dangerous in the Pac-12 this year. But I, I think they're going to scheme some people up. Is this one of the best defenses in the Pac-12? No. But if they get into just kind of that middle third area, they're, they're, they're going to make some noise in, in the conference this year. And I, I feel like a broken record a little bit, but, I mean, this is how it is. There aren't any teams that stink in this conference, and, 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 and every team has a reason for substantial hope. And, I mean, if you're going to look at what, what is the biggest reason for the Cougs, it's a veteran quarterback and a really deep crew of receivers that are as good as any in the country. I mean, they're going to spread you out like Mike Leach wants to do, and they're going to throw it all over the place, and they're going to score 40 points, and they're going to see if you can do that against their defense. And as you said, I mean, this defense has upgraded its talent it's in, in its scheme and uh, its third year in the scheme, and I think they're going to be much improved. And, and they, will, they will ruin somebody's season. I know that. I mean, there's going to, there's <laughs> going to be a UCLA, an Oregon, a, sure. uh, a, a Washington, a, a USC, or whomever they you know, line up on the schedule, and they're going to go down to the Cougs, and the Cougs are going to get that seventh or eighth win and take another step forward. All right, we'll stay in the Pacific Northwest with Oregon State, a team that I I think we can agree is decidedly above average. Year in and year out, they'll they'll have their blip down year, but they they appear to be year in and year out competitive, and they'll beat somebody good, and they'll have players that'll get drafted in the first, second, or third round. Last year was a team that put up big numbers against the absolute dreck of the conference uh, on defense. This year, they start 
pretty much in similar fashion. I think five of their first six games are are fairly acceptable. They have, uh, I want to say, USC relatively early on. Uh, what is it about this year's Oregon State team that you believe keeps them as a sort of middle-tier Pac-12 bowl team? Well, <laughs> if, if that's what you think. I, I, I really like Sean Mannion. I, Sean Mannion might end up being the most successful NFL quarterback of these guys. Uh, I think, you know, Mariota obviously will have something to say about that. But Sean Mannion is an NFL-ready type quarterback. He's got that drop-back arm, that uh, ability to see over defenses, that height, and we saw last year he can put up huge numbers. Now, of course, we got to figure out if, if, if his production last year was a lot dependent on Brandon Cooks. I mean, you lose the best receiver in the country, a guy who's been lighting it up in New Orleans Saints camp, and you got to wonder, how much are they, how effective are they going to be passing the ball? And if, if it's not going to be as spectacular, are they going to be able to run the ball a little bit, which they weren't able to do much of last year, but improved dramatically last year. Yeah, the question is going to be the, the defensive line. I mean, the offensive line for them. Uh, you could say both lines, but I think they're going to be improved on the defensive line, even with losing Scott Brighton. I think they're going to have to they're going to have to protect Mannion, and they're going to have to generate a running game because I mean that offense is 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 is, is going to have to make some adjustments without you know life post post uh, Cooks, and we're going to have to see if they can can do it if they can become more balanced. That's going to be the key. And Mike Riley said that in the preseason, we have to become more balanced. Oregon State's going to make an interesting transition because they're going to be tight end centric. They're going to be a little bit like Stanford was a couple of years ago. They got a lot of depth at H back and tight end. I'm going to be curious to see how that gets worked out. I, I like this team on defense. I like the linebackers. Pretty good secondary. Uh, they got a nice transfer from Miami inside and Jalen Grimble. Mm-hmm. Uh, there again, I mean, just you know, I, I feel like a broken record, but everybody in this conference has something to be pretty excited about. And the thing with Oregon State is you got a veteran quarterback. And, and talent pretty much scattered all over the field. It's uh, going to make you, at the very least, competitive against any team in the conference. Ted, two teams to round out the Pac-12 South. Let's start with Utah. Uh, I read to you a line directly from Bill Connolly's SB Nation preview of the Utes. He says, from September 6th to November 22nd, Utah placed 10 consecutive teams that went bowling last year. Wow. So, okay, not good. But Utah does seem to be getting better, Ted. The Utes are always feisty. What are your expectations for this program in the short term, as in 2014, and then the long term, as in beyond just this season? Well, you know, if you take this team and have it play the 2011 and 12 schedule, Utah fans would feel right at home with mm. what they would see. I mean, that, that would be a team that could potentially be win nine or ten games. I mean, remember, let's recall, they weren't playing Oregon and Stanford those first two years in the Pac-12. We all joked about how easy their uh, landing was uh, versus what the schedules of other teams. Well, they're getting back in spades. I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's going to be difficult for this team to show a lot of improvement in the win-loss column despite being a lot better. If you're looking for hope, uh, they just announced today that Travis Wilson had defended his starting spot. Yep. Uh, quarterback from uh, Oklahoma transfer, Kendall Thompson. But what I see there is I see you actually have a two-deep quarterback where two A-list-type athletes are at the position. And if, if, if you know, they haven't been able to keep a quarterback healthy there since 2008, if Wilson goes down, Kendall Thompson has played well enough in the preseason that his team is going to be confident in him. He's, he's a, you know, an FBS-level quarterback athlete. And they haven't had that. When they lost their starting quarterback, they've gone with, Guys from you know that no one's ever heard of. They didn't get recruited by anybody. They were transfers from you know Nebraska, Omaha, and, and I'm not exaggerating. That's actually who their quarterback was when Jordan Wynn went down. Uh, so I, I see an upgrade in talent. I see a depth at receiver that's, that's that means that Wilson's going to have some help. I see a very physical left side of the offensive line with Jeremiah, Jeremiah Potasi and Junior Salt. And we're talking about big, two big, strong guys that probably have NFL futures that probably are going to pave the way for a pretty nice downhill running game with new offensive coordinator Dave Christensen. There's some things to like here. I actually think the thing that's, that might be the question for Utah, and I, I'm sure Utah folks would disagree with me, is, is the defense. I, I think the front seven, even with a nice guy like Nate Orchard at end, is not as deep and it's not as certain as it's been in the past. They may be better in the secondary this year than they've been in the past, but I think they may take a step on the defensive front. I'll be curious to see if they put that all together. They had a couple of injuries, uh, Jacoby Hale in spring practice, et cetera, et cetera. 
that may be the thing that holds them back this year. But I, I do see a depth chart that's better than what was brought to the table two years ago. Are they going to win eight games like they did in 2011? I, I don't think so. I don't think that's what's going to happen this year. But it's, it's, it's pretty much a factor of the schedule and the quality of the conference now. And depending where you look, well, pretty much everywhere you look, it seems as if Colorado is the unanimous selection to finish dead last in the Pac-12 South. Now, I it seemed like Colorado was better last season than they had been in, in previous years. Where are we at in the Colorado rebuilding process that Mike McIntyre has underway? Well, you have the same thing at Colorado and Cal. I mean, the two bottom feeders, hypothetically, uh, in the conference, probably uh, unanim- there's more unanimity about that than even the top of the conference, which is those two are at the bottom. Both of them are going to be better. Uh, Colorado is going to be improved second year with Mike McIntyre. They try to start a true freshman quarterback uh, uh, last year, and, and Seth Oliafau should be better this year. They have they lose Paul Richardson in the passing game. Let's face it, that's a game breaker, and that's yep. going to be something that won't be easy to replace. But maybe for a team that's trying to get its stuff together, like Colorado. When you don't have to rely or you're always looking to one guy, they'll spread things out a little bit. I think they're going to run the ball a little bit better. They've got some nice depth at running back. The offensive line is competent. Uh, they're going to have to get better on defense. I mean, I think that's when you see the teams that separate themselves in the conference that are at the top half is that they, they have a lot more pieces in place on defense. We'll see if this front seven is physical enough to hold up the entire season against the Pac-12 schedule. I think Colorado is going to be better. The problem they have who do they step over? Who are they going to step over to satisfy folks that they're moving up in the conference pecking order? I just don't see that happening in, in, in the, the South Division this year. But I do think he's got that program going the right way. They can manage to be perfect in their non-conference schedule, which is not a huge leap of faith. Maybe they can scratch out three wins and suddenly they're bowl eligible, and that generates some momentum for the program. You know, they've got facilities going up there. They're playing catch-up. Uh, I, I like Mac McIntyre and what he's doing, but you know there's certainly a, a little bit away in terms of just overall talent. We'll finish out the conference with Cal, and if we can agree to be encouraged by the potential and occasional results of the offensive skill that Sonny Dykes has and Jared Goff and a couple of very good receivers and some intriguing running backs, a couple of what appear to be decent defensive ends, what is progress considering... One, I guess, how snake-bitten Cal was last year. Two, how far the offensive line has to go. And three, just the attrition that they, they've been through on defense. Yeah, well, I mean, they had they had some good players last year that never got on the field. Yeah. And the injury, injury, injury rate last year was pretty absurd. They weren't going to be gangbusters anyway, and Sonny Dykes knew that well before his injury started happening right but they by the end were just i mean they were going on fumes the line of scrimmage they were just getting dominated uh you know jared Goff wore down a little bit as a true freshman quarterback who you know the game wasn't a matter of going too fast for him is that he just didn't have any time i mean it was Mm -hmm. just they were getting they're getting mashed they're gonna have to run the ball better that offensive line is the first place it's got to improve i mean everybody wants to talk about the defense i think that just having some healthy bodies over there and having a good defensive coordinator in Art Kaufman who yep. will put out a sound scheme. I mean, Andy Boo last year, I mean, let's just face it, they were not terribly sound. I mean, you would hear coaches talk about it wasn't just the talent. It was that you could fool them, that they would be out of position, that the guys weren't learning what they were supposed to do, and you could exploit that. And that's the worst thing you want to hear as a coach. That won't happen in Art Kaufman defense. I don't think so. He's a proven commodity. did a great job at, at Cincinnati. Not exactly sure of the circumstances of Tuberville letting him go, but nonetheless, it was a good hire for Sonny Dykes. They're going to be better on defense. They're not going to be great. Uh, if, to me, if Mustafa Jalil, the big uh, defensive tackle, is healthy, he and Brennan Scarlett will combine to give them a pretty salty front seven. Uh, they'll be able to compete. It's just going to really come down to that offensive line. Are they going to be able to run the ball at all? allow Jared Goff and a really strong crew of receivers to do what Sonny Dykes wants to do, which is to spread the field out and throw it all over the place. But you're going to have to run the ball a little bit, and you're going to have to distribute, and it's going to be interesting to see how they do. You know, I think that Cal has got one of the interesting opportunities this year is that they're opening at Northwestern. Northwestern has mm-hmm. some issues. You know, we've been reading about some of the players transferring, et cetera, et cetera. So right. if they could go to Northwestern and win that game, and by the way, that was a very competitive game last year that was decided by mistakes late. Yep. Uh, if they could win that, it's a, it might be a season changer, and they would immediately announce to the country that if the dregs of the Pac-12 is Cal, 
then, oh my gosh, they just went into Northwestern, a pretty solid Big Ten team, and stole a victory. So that's a game worth watching in week one. And by the way, there's no other real good games in week one, so that's pretty much it. I'm going to close out with maybe the best question we've ever received. It was directed at me, but I want to in turn direct it at you. This is from Mike. This is from a listener, Mike. He says, compare each Pac-12 team to a Mexican food dish and why. You don't need to go each team, but is so like to me, Stanford and burrito stands out. You're talking about heft and power. Is there any dish and I'm putting you on the spot here, any Mexican food dish that associates naturally to you to a, a Pac-12 school? Hmm. I'm super hungry now, by it, the way. It, it did take, yeah, well, you're going to make everybody hungry. Yeah, I'm, I'm imagining this one of those, like, you know, those places that have that monster burrito that's just sitting in the middle of the plate loaded yep. with about a half pound of beef or three-quarters yep. of a pound of beef, and that it would be Stanford because of the, the beef up front. So my immediate reaction is, what what would be the alternative? Uh, 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 what's what's colorful and spicy, like for an Oregon, like a chili you know, like relleno? Oregon is a really damn good margarita. That's mm. what Oregon Ooh, is. There you it's go. Some high top shelf tequila. Yeah. None of that triple sec crud. You know, you use the real lime juice and uh, 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 you know spice it up maybe with a couple of uh, secret ingredients. And you got the green, which is a fundamental color, even in the, the, the funky uniform form of the ducks at present. Mm-hmm. You got the green in there. So I would think, you know, a couple of those, and I run like DeAnthony Thomas. So there you have it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you, it could, is. you could go anything from Taco Bell with, like, their grade E meat and use that for Colorado if you want. Oh, Ty. <laughs> I'm just saying. Easy, easy, easy. Yeah. I, I would say UCLA. I I was, I was, my immediate reaction was like, I'm thinking of that, what is that, that, that kind of lame cinnamon dessert they have with those churros or something <laughs> like that. That you're just kind of, you, you sit there and go, what is this thing all about? I think that's what wazoo. That would be. I think it's, it's intriguing. It's a lot of sugar and speed, but ultimately you're sort of a little let down. <laughs> I think that's wazoo. I think UCLA and maybe USC. I would say is some sort of fancy taco. They have the, the really nice ingredients. It might not be the most satisfying thing. Maybe like a short rib taco or like a lobster taco. Fancy ingredients, but not the the most filling item. See, I was thinking with you because I you know I, I have had some, you know you order the that 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 seafood taco that that lobster taco and you know it's you always imagine to yourself that this lobster is is something out of almost a can or it's been frozen or something like right. that. Right. But you go to a place. It plops down a whole dang lobster tail that tastes fresh in there, and you're suddenly going, holy cow, I'm actually not really comfortable with putting this much stuff on, on fresh lobster, but dang, this is a pretty good taco. So that might be what UCLA is. After years of kind of being that, that yummy, fast food Mexican taco that maybe they've upgraded, and they've got a big slab of lobster tail in there right now with Brett Hundley and company, and that they're going to actually uh, eclipse your satisfaction level of the typical Mexican uh, taco fair. Hmm. I could see I could see Arizona as maybe taquitos, like a little bit smaller. They're they're sort of still just an appetizer, not like the main course of the Pac-12, but I mean dangerous. You look forward to them, and you know they pack a little bit of heat, a little bit of spice. I think that Arizona taquitos, like a really good guac, like they make it at the table type guac. So that would be so guac would probably be Washington. It's it's a it's a part, it's, it's a fresh, crucial part. Yes. <laughs> it's fresh. It's fresh and new and we're you know, we're excited about seeing what it's gonna taste like. Made right in front of us, crucial part, not I ultimately probably the main part of the conference, but it's and, a, and, it's oh, a and, and oh I got one. Rich Rod is definitely I, I think Rich Rod is definitely that, that salsa when you say Hey, give me the spicy stuff, and you're all, you know, standing on, <laughs> blowing out your chest like, I, I can whoop some butt. And yep. it's just a little bit spicy. Because I was down there last Wednesday when he just completely blew up, and all I could say is I'm glad I don't play for the Wildcats right now because he is an angry, angry, angry head coach. So he's the spicy one. He was he was dropping all sorts of words that, that I'm too young to say uh, on the football field. So wow. that would be uh, the Wildcats down there. Todd Graham, probably refried beans. Probably not the best, not the best for you, and he'll probably run through you. But uh, ultimately, you know, everybody likes beans. They're a successful oh, yeah. part of any dish. 
you know, and, and somebody's like, you know, you, you, it's, your refried beans by definition has been through a little bit more than your just once fried beans. Right, yes, he has. So with Graham, has been through a couple of different iterations. Mm-hmm. But, you know, every once in a while you're at a restaurant and, and, and they're refried beans. They put a little, it's just like anything else. You take a staple dish and put a little bit more effort into it, and all of a sudden something comes out and you're like, hey, man, taste my refried beans. And someone's like, I'm not going to taste that. That's worthless. And you go, no, no, these are special. That may be what they have going down in Tempe right now. I, I feel confident that folks are going to get more out of this discussion <laughs> than maybe the whole preview discussion, to be honest with you. <laughs> this is something that people can use, Ted. This is information. It I, is. You, know, you realize you're going to get all – people are going to go eat Mexican food, and they're going to be thinking about this, actually, as they're ordering. Going, I, I, I don't know if I want this, but I'm going to order it just to see if it would be you know, Utah. Yeah, I mean, this Doritos Locos, this novelty, tastes a lot like Oregon's offense. I love coming on podcasts when you have that unlimited time window, kind of, and you just can just go off on these types of tangents. Oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're like a jam band. We're a college football jam band right now. <laughs> um, Utah, to me, feels like a chimichanga. A lot, a lot of heft, a lot of size, but ultimately too much, and you don't feel quite right afterwards. Yeah, you know, I, I always love, I, I mean, I've eaten chimichangas before, you know, I was trying to be healthy, and that's always that dish that it's got a lot of hidden calories in it. So, yeah, they've got some heft in that. So, you know, Utah always has some of those big guys up front that uh, probably have eaten a few chimichangas in their lifetime. But uh, that's the dish I always look for mournfully, like, God, I would love to have something that's fried, but I'm not another Another team that works with chimichanga is Oregon State, because the first few bites are always great. And then as you go to the back half, it's not as great. You know, Oregon State's a little bit like the taco truck, you know? Yeah, after okay. we took them all to uh, uh, In-N-Out Burger to celebrate yes. wins last year, uh, Mike Riley took them, that, you know, that would be the taco truck that you actually don't want anybody else to know about. They're like, hey, you mm. know any good taco trucks? No, no, I don't know any good taco <laughs> trucks. Leave me alone. Because you don't want to have to wait in line for your lunch, even though you have the best carne asada tacos uh, for like five bucks anywhere. Mm-hmm. You just don't like to tell people. Of course, you, you know, you're risking putting that place out of business, but you don't want to have to wait in line. I'm so hungry. <laughs> I'm dying here. I haven't I'm eaten so all day. Hungry. You're killing me. All right. Well, again, his name is Ted Miller. You can find his work over at ESPN.com. Ted, thanks for stopping by to preview the conference and make us all hungry and, you know, everything in between. Always a good time, guys. Y'all take care. All right, Dan, again, that's TedMillerESPN.com. You're not feeling the Doritos Locos taco for Oregon, are you? First of all, it's not Mexican food. It's Taco it's, Bell. It's a it's a gimmick food for a non-gimmick uh, team. Uh, you see where I'm going with this? Have you had one of those? No, God, no. Yeah. I like taco. I mean, I don't mind Taco Bell. but When was the last time you had Taco Bell? The last time I had Taco Bell was yep. probably 2012. Really? There, that recently? There was, there was a walkable Taco Bell to the old SB Nation studio, and I remember going there once. I don't think I've had it returning to L.A. I've had Del Taco, which is essentially I've had Del similar. Taco, right. I've had that with you. Right. So I've had that more recently, I'm assuming, than Del Taco or than Taco Bell because uh, it's actually pretty close to LAX. Uh, but well, what is your Taco Bell order, Ty? Usually I go hard shell tacos. How many? Usually, and I say usually, I haven't been to Taco Bell in 10 years, but. Really? Oh, God, it's been forever. It's been that long? It's been a long time. Been a long time. But they go probably uh, three or four hard shells. Okay, and that's that. That's it. Usually that's about it, yeah. Yeah, the problem, my problem with Taco Bell, though, is when you eat it, your day is over. That's true. That's my problem with a lot of different foods, pancakes mostly. Sure, I mean. Taco Bell, I could throw five guys, burgers oh, yeah. and fries in the same in the same breath. You can eat it, but it's not really fast food because afterwards your day is essentially over. Like if yes. you're a businessman, you can't just go and grab Taco Bell or five guys. True. You have to plan accordingly. You need to be in the vicinity of the facilities if you're going to make that kind of lunch decision or dinner decision. You know what I mean? I Totally do. I've had five guys maybe three times in my life. Yeah. And after the like the last time I had it, we're talking a couple of years ago now. My thought was, this is pretty good. I get it. I don't want to feel how I feel right now anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that has done a pretty good job of keeping me away. I killed uh, some cheese fries and a couple of burgers at Shake Shack just on Saturday. I'm not anti yeah. that kind of food. But there's something about Five Guys and that that thin veneer of grease over everything that, yeah. I don't know, I, it keeps me away a little bit. I, I went to Five Guys with a work group last week. Okay. And let me tell you, Five Guys in the tummy on a Friday afternoon makes for a very unproductive afternoon. Yeah. It, you know? It's similar. Do you do Chipotle at lunch? I've done. Well, I haven't. It's a little too far away from the office, but okay. um, I would. See, I'm Chipotle free. I just, it doesn't feel good all afternoon. Do you remember eating. when we did our live show in, in 2012? I ate Chipotle yeah. every week up in New yeah, York. Yeah, it was walkable. Every single week I ate Chipotle. Chipotle is walkable to everything in New York, though. There are 7,000 yeah. Chipotles in the city now. Huh. Well, I don't know how we got talking about this, but this is Well, we were talking about Mexican food at the end of our Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, We have some questions on Facebook that we should buzz through real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Read them off. By the way, if you haven't liked the Facebook page. Yeah. Facebook.com slash solid verbal. What are you doing with your life, your digital life? This is that you're just embarrassing yourself at this point because we're doing all sorts of fun things that we're not doing anywhere else. And by the way, we're going to post all sorts of links on the Facebook page, on the Twitter yeah, a link to our Pick'em Pool, which I know we announced in a previous show, but the Pick'em Pool is now operational. You can find the link at SolidVerbal.com. We'll also put that link on the Facebook page, on the Twitter, pretty much anywhere that uh, the folks are reading. Please do sign up for the Pick'em Pool. We'll give you a shirt if you end up winning. If you like our Facebook page, yeah. Ty will give you his Snapchat username. That's right. Where he sends... I mean, they're they're a lot more risque than I figured they would be. Well, I mean, you got to give the fans what they want, Dan. He will put his PowerPoint guide to lovemaking yep. on the Facebook page. Yep. Twitter? Nope. Nope. Fan cred? Nope. Not enough characters. No, absolutely not. Um, first question. We already answered the Mexican food question. Who wins the division title first, Mike Leach or Rich Rod? I think it has to be Rich Rod, Rich Rod. just because of his ability to recruit defensive talent. I don't question either of their abilities to run successful offenses. Has to be Rich Rod, the combination of Southern California, Texas, and Jeff Castile running that 3 3 5. Think it's probably Rich Rod. Also, uh, I think the teams that are in the North are probably better and on more stable footing than some of the teams in the South. Yeah. Not a long term believer in Sark, at least until I see something, and not a long term yep. believer in Jim Moore at UCLA, just physically, geographically. Agreed. Uh, I like him as a coach. Um, Next question, bah, 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 bah. how long will Oregon continue to thump Washington? I think Ted <laughs> nailed it. At least a year. At okay. least a year. They'll beat them this year in Eugene. Everything's together. I don't. The quarterback situation is kind of sketchy to me moving forward. Um, will it be forever? No. Um, is what oh, there was something like uh, bah, 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 bah. I do not want to play FMK. No, no more. Not today. Not today. No. Uh, will Cal still not be good? Probably uh, will not be good this year. I think Cal will be like, they'll give us three really entertaining games. Just because they're going to throw the ball a lot. I like the combination of Sonny Dykes and Tony Franklin. I like Goff's raw ability. I like a couple of their receivers, Harper and Treggs. It'll be enough where they'll like, did you, Cal's up 13 nothing on Stanford. Whoa. We'll have a situation like that with Cal and somebody yeah. where you're going to want to turn on the Pac-12 network or Fox Sports 9 or something. Um, but ultimately, yeah, Cal just does not have the large humans to compete week in and week out yet. They'll play in a lot of shootouts, which will at least make their games entertaining, even if they're not winning. Sure. And if they're healthy, that'll be sure. that'll be a thing. Right. Which Pac-12 college town, this is me asking you, Yep. do you most desire to visit? Hmm. Also, I have 4% left on my laptop battery, so answer quickly. Yeah, um, probably. Gosh, I don't even know, Dan. I've been to Tempe, and that was right. interesting. I've been You've to been LA. You've been to L.A. been to L.A. But you haven't been to like the UCLA or USC areas. No, no, and I'm, I'm not really that gung-ho on doing that. I would probably say, let me say um, either Eugene or Washington. Eugene simply because... We've got this unbreakable connection now, Dan, after doing Can this I tell podcast you for years. Yeah. I like Eugene. If you gave me a plane ticket to anywhere in the Pac-12 right now, wouldn't be Eugene. 
Okay. Well, I've never been, so I'm, you know, it's I'm fun. I'm it's curious. outdoorsy. There's not a ton to do in terms of like eating, drinking, but it's fun. Whatever. Eugene, um, Washington's interesting to me just because they've got the whole water element to their home football games. Seattle's great. You've never been to Seattle? Never just been to Seattle. City? No. Oh, I think Seattle's probably the answer, especially in the summertime. Seattle's magnificent. Yeah, never been to Seattle. So we'll, we'll go with Seattle there. I think that's totally fair. Although yeah. I really like Boulder as well. Boulder, yeah. Okay, they should be on the list too. Seattle and Boulder would be my two right now if, if I could get a ticket anywhere. Okay. There it is. All right. Ted Miller's great. Ted Miller is great. He's um, both salty and elite. Yeah, so, so salty, so elite. Yeah. All right, well, big thanks to Ted. Big thanks to everyone again who downloaded. That does it for our conference previews. Damn, we're good. Solidverbal at gmail.com is the email address write us let us know what you think we will be back we'll do one more show before we get to our world-renowned preview episode on wednesday august 27th we will have a special guest in tow to pick some of these games it's a guest i assure you many of you have heard of so you won't want to miss that do you know what next week is ty Mm. game week week! i'm also going to say this because we've gotten a number of questions on the topic yeah people have asked are you done giving life advice and answering emails from listeners? No. Nope. No. Nope. Dummy. No. Idiot. Ty and I have a lot of thoughts. We've got some thoughts. Yeah. We will express those thoughts on our next show, I promise. Yeah. For that guy over there, Mr. Dan Rubenstein. For myself, Ty, here in good old Eastern PA. Thanks again for tuning in to the Solid Verbal. Catch you all next week. It's game week, boys and girls. Stay solid. Peace. Peace.